Please join me in the, the New Testament reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, page 884 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to join me, read along. Luke chap, chapter 23, verses 44 through 49. Please hear the word of our Lord. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the inerrant and infallible word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's return to the scripture we read with Mike this morning from Luke chapter 23. If you're visiting, we have been for several years in a study in the life of Jesus Christ in the gospel according to Luke. We have gone episode by episode, line by line. We haven't left out a verse. Uh, And I return this morning. Last week, uh, Tyler taught from this exact text uh, on the torn curtain, uh, part of this passage. And it was, the Lord blessed it in an incredible way. I would encourage you, if you weren't here, to go listen to that tape. Uh, This morning, we take up where Tyler left off. We have, we will celebrate communion. The Lord's Supper will come around the Lord's table together at the conclusion of this worship. If you are visiting this morning, you need to know that this table belongs to Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to our elders. It belongs to him. He said it. And so if you know him as your Savior, if you own him as your Lord and King, just as you you have sung with us and prayed with us, declared your faith with us, you come to this table with us. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a professing Christian, uh, we we strive here every Lord's Day to give us honest answers to honest questions. We pray that this morning the Lord will answer some of your questions that you have about the faith. But when we come to this time, as we come to the Lord's table, understand that it's precious to us. Watch and observe and listen and ask the Lord to teach you. Now, before we come to his word, let's pray together and ask him to teach us. Our Father, we thank you for this Lord's day. That once more we can run to your house to meet with you. To enjoy your fellowship. To enjoy the fellowship of worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To hear you teach us as our father from your word. We bow before you now and we must, Father, come as priests praying for the world around us, and giving thanks for what you have done in our lives and our families. Our Father, we thank you for bringing Nick and 
Chandler Stengel back home. We thank you for the safety that you gave him as he served his country. We thank you that they're back home. We pray that you would bless them and bless their family. We pray this morning for Jim Bennington and for Billy Griggs, for Frida Yancey. You know each one of them and you know their exact needs even this morning. We pray that you would bless them where they are. I pray that, Father, you would speak to them as only you're able to speak to them. And now as we open your word, we say once more that John Sartell cannot teach in a way that will make any difference in our lives. Father, you know that this is not just humble rhetoric on my part. I know I can't. So as always, we bow before you and ask you to teach us. You said that all true teaching is not a demonstration of the brilliance or the, or the theology of the speaker. That all true preaching is a demonstration of the power of your spirit. And so we pray that we would hear your voice this morning in our hearts. Change us, Father. Maybe some of us for the first time. But if we're already changed, continue that growth. Continue to change us at the core of our being. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The faith of a dying man. Nave's topical Bible is a resource that I use frequently in preparing messages. It arranges scripture, Nave's topical Bible arranges scripture by topic, not by chronology, not by book, but by subject. For instance, in the, under the biblical subject of grace, it will list all the scriptures in the Bible that has to do with grace. All the scriptures that have to do with God the Father will list those. But when I looked in Nave's topical Bible for faith of Christ, not faith in Christ, but faith of Christ, I didn't find any verses listed. There was faith in Christ, but not faith of Christ. And that says something. We typically don't think of Jesus as being a man of faith. This is where Tyler left off last week. He told me, he said, he gets the credit for everything. You know, he said, I teed it up for you really well. But we don't think of Jesus as being a man of faith. He's a savior. He's a son of God. He's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We've slipped into thinking Jesus did not need faith. He commanded by fiat. He did not pray for people to be healed. He commanded that they be healed. He did not pray. Remember of the great storm on the Lake of Galilee? He did not pray for God to stop the storm. He commanded the storm and it stopped. 
What did the disciples say in that boat? Who is this? That even the wind and waves obey him. That's how we think of Jesus. And yet, in the passage this morning, we see a man of great faith dying. And he speaks, he prays a prayer of faith. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How do we get our minds around that? How do we get our minds around faith of Christ? Jesus was truly man. He was born of woman. He felt pain. He was subject to temptation. He was subject to tooth decay, pimples, puberty. I was preaching a message like this one time, and a lady came up to me and said, you just should not mention Jesus in puberty. I said, ma'am, it's the incarnation. He was truly, truly man. And no man can please God without faith, and that included Jesus. He went to the temple as a man of faith. He prayed as a man of faith. He worshipped as a man of faith. Look on your scripture sheet at John 4, 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do, now look at this, is to do the will of him who sent me. That's someone under authority. Look at John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. The apostles understood this. Remember that passage in Philippians chapter 2? The apostle Paul wrote about the incarnation, wrote about the Son of God becoming flesh. And look what he said in Philippians 2.5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now he's speaking to man. He's speaking to us. And he's saying as men, as women, as human beings, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. What does a servant do? He serves his master. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and looked and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul was saying that the life of Jesus Christ, the entire life of Christ from the incarnation right through to his death, was a life of obedience, perfect obedience, and faith. So we come to his prayer. And that's the first point. Just see Jesus pray this prayer. Look at verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He had spoken to the thief who cried out in faith. He had spoken to John, behold your mother. He had spoken to his mother, behold your son, speaking about John. He had spoken to the crowd, but his last words were addressed to the father. Preparing this message. 
prompted me to go through the Gospels and see the number of times that Jesus spoke of his father. You know, if you want to know about my earthly father, I could sit here for the next week and tell you stories about him. I worship the ground that man walked on. That's the way Jesus was about his father. It's on every page of the Gospels that will surprise you when you look at that. We tend to look at those two miraculous scenes, this baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Father spoke from heaven about his son. You know, sometimes we look at as fathers, we look at our sons when they're doing something that's that really, really, really good. And we, we speak to someone in pride. Well, that's what the Father was doing. And his baptism, remember the Father said, this is my beloved son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Mount of Transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. And we tend to think of those two passages, but those two passages are just, it's on every page. Go look at it this afternoon and see. Now, Jesus had finished. Remember, we're going to cross, he cried out, it's finished. He had finished the work that the Father sought him to accomplish. He had cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he descended into hell, taking our sin and our just punishment on himself? And then he spoke his last words. Father, it's done. That a man of faith had completed what he had been sent there to do. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So it's a prayer. Secondly, it's a prayer of commitment and faith. Again, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This was an active deed of faith. He was trusting. He was trusting his Father. It was an act of faith. Into your hands. Into your hands, Father. Every time that word is used, commit, in the New Testament, it's speaking of faith. Every time. Look at 2 Timothy 1.12 on your scripture sheet. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet I'm not ashamed. Paul is writing to Timothy. Yet I'm not ashamed. Because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard, to keep what I have entrusted to him, what I have committed to him. No, we can pray that in this morning. Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Knowing that he will keep us till that day. It's a prayer of commitment and faith. Sometimes when I've visited you in the hospital, you have heard me pray. Father, just as let's say your name is Dave, just as Dave rests upon this bed and gives no thought that it will collapse with him, I pray that he'll rest in your omnipotent, nail-scarred hands and find rest for his soul. We pray. Before surgery, 
when we pray, when there's this great need in our lives, we're praying a prayer of commitment, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. I commit this. So it's a prayer, a prayer of commitment. It's also a prayer of victory, and we come back to hands now. Father, into your hands. It's a prayer of victory. We think it's a prayer of resignation. No, it's a prayer of victory. The hands of God, always in Scripture, represent strength and power. There's no other hands like them. Look at Exodus 15:6 as an example. Your right hand, O Lord, glories in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Psalm 95:4. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, he, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. He's saying, this world, this solar system, this universe are in the hands of God. What, what's the hand like that holds the universe? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus knew those hands held up the universe. Listen. This was a statement of faith. We've already seen that. His faith in God. His commitment. When Jesus said this, I commit this to you. It was not a resignation to lesser powers. To whom was Jesus committing himself? The Father. He was not surrendering to the will of the Sanhedrin. He was not surrendering to the will of Pilate and the Romans. He was not surrendering to torture and death. He was not resigning himself to the inevitability of dying on a cross. He was not doing that. Remember when Pilate was speaking to Jesus and Jesus was responding with silence. And Pilate was exasperated. He said, man, don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? Did Jesus let that stand? Did he let Pilate get away with saying that? No. Then. He broke his silence. And it was related to into your hands I commit my spirit. He said, Pilate, you have no power. In this, in, in this episode, you have no power unless my Father in heaven gives it to you. He was saying, I'm sitting here in your court in obedience to my Father. That's what this is. We need to understand this if we're going to be women and men and young people of faith. We sometimes get in a situation that's really hard, really bad, and, and we have this feeling of just surrendering to it. It's an inevitable fate. And it's a resignation not to God. We sometimes live as if we're resigning our lives to cancer, to suffering, to death. That's a terrible mistake. And this is not a matter of semantics. When we resign our lives to sickness, to death, to cancer, to heart trouble, people, we're committing an act of idolatry. We're putting those things in the place of God. Cancer is not God. Death is not God. We're exalting a lesser power to the place of God. 
Pilate said, don't you know I have the power of death over you? And Jesus would not give him that power. He said, no, that is in my father's hands, Pilate. He would not become, Jesus would not become the idolater. What did he say? I don't, I don't commit. I'm not committing my soul to death. Into your hands, O oh Father, I commit my spirit. There was a king named Canute, C-A-N-U-T-E. He ruled Denmark and England from 1016 to 1035 A.D. Much has been written about his commitment to the church and commitment to Christ. There's one story about him that I, I like. Imagine your president doing this. But he had become tired of the flattery and exaltation of his court that was just constant in praise of him. And so he had his throne taken down to the seashore. And his court went there, of course, and he sat on his throne on the seashore looking at the waves. And he stood and said, as king of Denmark, king of England, I forbid the waves to advance. I forbid the tide to come in. And he sat down. And, of course, the tide came in came past the throne, and when it did, Canute got up, King Canute got up, and there was a crucifix. He had a staff of the crucifix on it on his side, and he took off his crown, and he hung it on the crucifix. What was he saying? I may be the king of Denmark. I may be the king of but I don't command the waves. I don't have that power. God alone does. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. We need to remember that cancer, heart disease, old age, plane crashes, dictators, markets, whatever it is, they don't sit on the throne. They don't wear the crown. Our faith is in God, not in the lesser power. So Sanhedrin thought they'd won. Herod thought he had won. Pilate thought he had won. The Romans thought they'd won. Satan thought he had won. Evil had conquered. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus denied and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a statement of victory. The Sanhedrin had lost. The Romans had lost. Satan had been defeated. They had not determined the outcome of his life and his mission. A prayer, a prayer of commitment and faith, a prayer of victory. Fourthly, we see a prayer for all seasons. Jesus was actually quoting scripture when he prayed this prayer. He's quoting Psalm 31, 5. Look at it. Let's read it together. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. But I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. 
You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. He was quoting Psalm 35, 7. This is important because David did not say, say these words at the end of his life. Jesus was at the end of his life. When I say into your hands, I commit my spirit, we immediately think of what? The end of life. That's when you pray this prayer. But if we go back and look at the text Jesus used, it's a prayer for all seasons. A prayer for the morning, a prayer for the evening, a prayer for entering the classroom, a prayer for entering your office, a prayer for vacation, a prayer for marriage, a prayer for the birth of children, a prayer for facing danger, a prayer when enjoying a meal. Father, into your hands we commit our spirit. When should we not be committed to the hands of the Father? If you think it's just a prayer for the end of the life, who rises in the morning? Which of us will rise tomorrow morning and say, Father, I'm going to rest in my own hands today. I'll let you know if I need you. Who's going to pray that prayer tomorrow morning? None of us will. But I'm afraid that is the unspoken assumption for many of us. It's only when just dire pressure comes down on us that we begin to, into your hands, well, I can't do anything else. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Many Christians have this view of faith. It's a way to obtain things. Faith heals cancer. Faith stops storms. Faith delivers me from financial ruin. Faith is a way to obtain in prayer what I want. No, it's a prayer for all seasons. When the Father refuses to extract us from the pain and suffering, what do you pray? What do you pray? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. But we should be praying that prayer the entire time. I have faith that Jesus is a son of God and that he died for my sins. We confessed that just a few minutes ago. I believe that and I make that confession in faith. But that's not living by faith. Living by faith is that confession. And then saying at the beginning of every day, Father, this day I commit my soul, I commit my life to your hands. Whether we're Going into work or teeing off on the ninth tee on the golf course. It doesn't matter. Into your hands, Father. That's the life of faith. A prayer. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of victory. A prayer for all seasons. I hope you'll pray this prayer this week. Remember. 
probably none of us this week got up and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Probably when we went to bed, none of us prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why not? Why not? That signifies a life of faith. A prayer, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of victory, a prayer for all seasons. Finally, a prayer of expectancy. And we don't think about this. This is a prayer that says the end. No, it's not. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Because of that last phrase, because he, then he breathed his last, we associate it with endings. Yet actually, the prayer looks forward. The prayer says there's more to come. The prayer says my life does not stop here. It's in my Father's hands. There was a Dutch theologian, profound preacher. His messages are difficult and deep. But he preached a sermon on this subject, and you don't hear too many sermons on the faith of a dying man in, in reference to Christ dying on the cross. And the title of Skilder's message was, Christ goes out, God goes on. And this is what he wrote. Listen to it. Now he stands. This is Jesus on the cross. He's bringing his life. He's shouting to heaven, now into your hands I commit my spirit. Now he stands at the threshold of a new beginning. He must take up the thread of his life again. He assigns his spirit to the Father's hands. Hardly. Has the servant done his task before he asks for another assignment? He's reached his milestone. He now goes round the bend. Here's a new vista open to him. This prayer looked forward to the resurrection. This prayer looked forward to our union with his disciples. This prayer looked toward his ascension to glory. This prayer looked to heaven and the Father. This prayer looked toward preparing a place for his people. The prayer looked toward the building of his church. That prayer looked forward to the building of Christ Presbyterian Church in Fayette County 2,000 years later. That prayer looked forward to his return, his great resurrection, the judgment and consummation of all of history. When we pray this prayer at the beginning of the day, what happens? It's a prayer of expectation. When we pray this prayer, the, the end of the day at night as we kneel in bed and we're into your hands I commit my spirit it's anticipation that the dawn is coming it's a prayer of expectancy when we pray this prayer the last breath on earth it's still a prayer of expectancy Our hymn, as we come to the table, is O sacred head now wounded.